Welcome to Understanding the UK National Security and Investment Regime. The introduction this month of the new investment screening regime marked a watershed moment for the government's powers to intervene in corporate transactions. In this podcast series, we provide insight into what's driving the new regime, how it will operate in practice and its particular impact on those sectors most affected. This podcast is brought to you by DLA Piper. My name is Sarah Smith and I'm a partner in the firm's competition practice. I am delighted to be hosting this podcast series and will be joined by DLA Piper's competition, government affairs and sector specialists over coming weeks. In previous episodes, we have covered the political context for the new regime, discussed its legal background and considered the potential impact in the industrial sector. In this episode, the fourth of the series, we discuss the impact of the NSNI Act on the technology sector. To discuss this, I'm joined by two of my colleagues, Alix Kamaling, a partner in the competition team, and Kit Burden, partner in our IPT group and head of the DLA tech sector. So, Alex, if I can come to you first, as we've discussed in previous episodes, this regime has wide ranging implications for M&A activity involving businesses or assets connected with the UK. Uh, before we move into our discussion today on the tech sector, could you please give us a quick overview to frame our discussion? No, absolutely. So, I mean, this legislation will impact a lot of technology sector transactions. And we've already noticed in a lot of other countries across the globe that there is an increased focus making these types of transactions subject to foreign investment scrutiny. Now, in the UK, it's worth noting that some transactions were already subject to a prior voluntary regime under the Enterprise Act, which effectively captured transactions relating to things like defence, dual use and computer hardware, where the Secretary of State could issue a public interest intervention notice and then review the possible public interest concerns. Now, as of the 4th of January this year, what's happened is the UK has introduced an entirely new regime, making many transactions that relate to the tech sector subject to a potential mandatory filing and will make it illegal if such transaction closes without having obtained prior clearance from the Secretary of State. Now, this regime also applies both to the acquisition of qualifying entities and also qualifying assets, provided that entity or the asset is from, in or has a connection to the UK and the level of control that you acquire over that qualifying entity or qualifying asset meets or passes a certain threshold. So the implications are going to be that even if you have, for example, a US company acquiring an Indian tech company, that could still be caught by the UK regime if that target has sufficient activities or assets in one of the sensitive sectors caught by this new regime, even if that target has no UK subsidiary. Also, as part of the legislation, the government is going to be able to impose conditions on acquisitions which raise national security concerns including even prohibiting or unwinding a transaction. And there will also be civil or criminal penalties, particularly where a transaction that is in a mandatory segment is not notified beforehand and cleared. So, Kit, we've heard from Alex there a brief explanation of how the new regime will work. How do you see this applying in particular in the technology sector? What activities do you think are are going to be likely to be caught by the new regime? Well, I think it's going to be quite significant in actual fact. So if we look back over the course of the last 12 to 24 months, 
there's been a lot of M&A activity impacting or involving our technology clients. And that's probably no great surprise given the fact that the technology sector overall has been so vibrant. And it's obviously COVID notwithstanding, it's been a, a very fast growing area of the global economy, but COVID had given it a real kick up the backside in many respects. And all of our clients and organizations generally have faced a bit of a conundrum between the build or buy decision. Because obviously with competition moving so quickly, they can try to develop their own technologies and build it, or else they can go out and look to buy it by acquiring a company who's already got something which they can and then bolt on or, or add to their portfolio. So we've seen a lot of technology clients going out and looking to acquire or sell their businesses. Now, technology is, of course, jurisdiction agnostic. It doesn't know or recognize geographic boundaries as such. And so the likelihood of there being a tech company in the UK, which is of interest to somebody from overseas, is just as likely as there being a organization in France or Germany or India that will be of interest to a UK company. So I think what we're going to see is a great many deals, which previously would not have been subject to these requirements, now falling within their purview and creating an additional hurdle for our technology clients to have to um, circumvent. I see. Yes. And Alex, from a legal perspective, you mentioned the mandatory filing obligation. How, how will that and the new legislation apply to tech sectors? Well, it basically means that if you are sort of a target entity or have assets that are active in one of 17 sensitive sectors identified in the legislation, then you're going to have to make a pre-merger filing and get clearance before you close that transaction. And it's interesting that, you know, out of the 17 sectors, there's quite a few that would touch on anything relating to technology. So it covers things like advanced robotics, which, of course, you know, will cover things like self-driving cars or even fruit picking robots or air drones to artificial intelligence, to public electronic communication providers, to computing hardware, cryptographic authentication, data infrastructure, defence technology, military or dual-use technology, quantum technologies and satellite and space technology. So you can see how lots of areas that will have technology assets are going to be caught. Yes, absolutely. That is pretty broad. Kit, Alix mentioned AI, artificial intelligence there, which sounds extremely wide and is, as we all know, becoming increasingly prevalent in lots of different tech contexts. Do you think that's got the potential to capture lots of significant transactions? I think far more than people realise. I mean, I think already we're at the point where people probably do not fully appreciate how great a role AI plays in their daily interactions. Just taking one example, there's a, a project we've been working on recently where people will ring up a particular company and they will believe that they are having a normal human being conversation um, because the conversation will sound as if it is natural and spontaneous and they're, they're reacting um, to what's been said to them. But in reality, all that's happened is that their conversation is being monitored by AI and that AI is then going to select the most appropriate response which it then chooses from a pre-recorded set of human voices and plays it back to that, that person. So you have a human being in that situation who may be undertaking a transaction, in this case, in relation to uh, smart metering, thinking that they're engaging with a the human being, and in fact, throughout, they're engaging with AI. And 
I mean, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, if we have AI in terms of obviously things like you know, Netflix and Facebook and all the things which affect our social media, but it also is in use in things like hiring decisions. So there's a lot of big companies who make quite a play now for the fact that a lot of their hiring at the more junior to mid levels is entirely done using AI. And then there's obviously lots of use of facial recognition, albeit that's an area that is already coming under increased scrutiny, not least through the, the EU's draft legislation in relation to AI. So I think that the reality is that artificial intelligence in one form or another is incredibly prevalent. It's only going to become more prevalent um, still. It's an area of specific focus to a lot of our clients because it's an area where obviously there is a lot of money to be made, a lot of opportunity to be gleaned. And therefore, extending these controls into the space of artificial intelligence is going to broaden its scope quite considerably. Yes, absolutely. And could end up meaning that many transactions need to be notified because they involve some element of, of AI technology, but that probably pose absolutely no national security risk whatsoever. Absolutely. Uh, I, mean, I guess that the one challenge is, is that AI is, is a tool. Uh, and what we can't necessarily predict is the use that that tool is going to be put to. So something which may be utilised for, let's say, facial recognition in the context of a retail store wanting to try to glean the emotional reaction of people to a sales advert they put up in their shop window could equally well be applied to judging people's facial features in a crowd for purposes of national security monitoring. So that, that there is clearly some shades of grey here. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the difficulties will arise, no doubt. Elix, anything to add on AI from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think it touched the relevant point in that, you know, it's the dual purpose of AI technology that the um, legislation is really trying to capture. And so if you look at the definition, what they're looking at is that sort of AI software that has cognitive abilities and then is used in actually three high risk applications. So, you know, it would have to be sort of the, the technology or the target activity relates to research and development into AI or actually developing the products or software that uses AI. And then the three high risks that the legislation identify is sort of the identification or tracking of objects, people or events or advanced robotics or cyber security. And so that's sort of very much the space in which they're going to be focusing their scrutiny and will require a mandatory filing to base. Another area that seems potentially quite broad in the definitions is transactions relating to computer hardware. What type of transactions are, are now not only caught and require a mandatory filing, but could potentially raise concerns? Kit, do you have a view on that? Well, it's interesting that hardware gets a mention here, because if you went back in time, I don't know, 20 plus years ago, then most people, when they thought about IT, probably thought predominantly about hardware. It was the, the physical computer, it was the routers and the servers and so on, even to the mainframes. But the reality is that most of the focus within the technology sector now has switched to more software-based applications. It's the as-a-service products and solutions. It's the AI and the manipulation of data, as we've discussed. But there is at least one exception to that rule, and that's in relation to semiconductor chips. So these are real a, a choke point, given their use in pretty much every device that we um, use in our day-to-day -day lives, and that also that are used in the context of business. So you know, our mobile phones need chips. The driverless cars and, and all of the existing computer equipment in our cars will need chips. 
the fridges that we operate in our homes will need chips. And then obviously all of the huge array of potentially national security related um, equipment and infrastructure will need chips. And if there's one thing that COVID has, has taught us is that the global supply chain is far more fragile than people ever appreciated. And we are in a position now where there is a significant concentration on semiconductor chip manufacture in the Far East, in Taiwan and South Korea in particular, to the point where obviously at a political level, one of the, the things that is causing a great deal of concern is China's attitude towards Taiwan, not just because of their longstanding issue with them as a rogue republic or rogue province, as it were, but also because they are very attractive as a potential source of semiconductor chip manufacturing for the decades to come. So given that we do have a, a semiconductor chip capacity within the UK at the moment, that I suspect will be a particular area of focus and sensitivity as we go forward. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something uh, I think that we've heard in the commentary generally. Alex, would you agree that the focus on semiconductors and chips is is one of the sort of driving forces behind the regime? And perhaps, you know, perhaps we've seen some of that in national security focus to date. So, yes, I mean, I think the UK is certainly not unique in that it has identified semiconductor products as being just really key to national security. We've seen it very much in Germany, for example, and China. They're very much picking up on these types of transactions. And so it really is, you know, the focus is on the computer processing units and then things like the root of trust or the integrated circuits with the purpose of providing memory. That's what's really much capturing the concerns that will require a mandatory filing. And I think it's quite interesting because although it is an entirely new regime, before it came into force in November 2021, The UK government already used its prior existing legislation, which was, as I mentioned, sort of a voluntary regime to call in under sort of the national security of scrutiny, the transaction between NVIDIA and ARM, which obviously is very much in this space relating to semiconductor chips. And the Secretary of State in its press release sort of identified the fact that while these chips are often used for consumer products that raise no national security concerns, It is the broader supply chain that was important for UK national security as well. And so this is very much still an ongoing case, but it'll be interesting to see what happens with that one, because I think it'll give us uh, light, shed light into what may be happening under the new regime as well. Yeah, absolutely. And and clearly that goes straight to Kit's point about the importance of global supply chains uh, and, and how that might be framed as a national security consideration under the new regime. So that's all absolutely fascinating. And clearly there are lots of different ways in which the new regime could touch on tech sectors and tech deals. If a transaction does give rise to national security concerns, what type of remedies can Bayes impose, Alix? So it'll have a very wide discretion, but I think, you know, the Act itself is called sort of National Security and Investment Act. And the the government has been at pains to say, you know, they don't want to sort of prohibit UK transactions or, or create unnecessary hurdles. So I think an actual sort of outright prohibition is going to be very much sort of the rare, um, rare example. It is much more likely that they'll be trying to sort of find other ways of remedying the actual national security concerns without necessarily preventing the overall transaction. Now, standing back, if you think about it, in a tech-related transaction, there are likely to be two main concerns. One is that the technology, which is a key technology, may fall into the hands of a hostile state. 
And there is sort of concern that, you know, sort of there are certain countries like China that are sort of already having a technological lead and they are going to just effectively end up buying core technology from countries like the UK. Now, that would be concerning the technology and remedies relating to that could potentially be to try and ensure that that technology remains in the UK. So whether there is a UK subsidiary with UK directors or things like that. The other concern, of course, is the having that access to that technology in the UK and ensuring that sensitive information doesn't leave the country. And again, that goes with things like ring fencing of the technology or the information generated by the technology. So those are the type of remedies that may well end up being the more usual ones. Interesting to see how this will play out, because... As Kit was saying a little while ago, technological applications don't really recognise jurisdictional borders. So where you're dealing with physical assets that you might, for example, in the defence sector, if you're talking about a you know, particular site, the remedy and how to keep that in the UK may be more straightforward than if we're dealing with a, a truly global technology. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right, Sarah. I mean, the, the fact that so much of this is intangible. You make a great point that in terms of controlling the export of military technology you could just say well don't send those missiles to that country it's very easy you could just stop them traveling but when the value of the technology is in ip that can be transmitted digitally in a second or two of by electronic means it's very very difficult to control that now obviously there will be sanctions when it's found to have happened but I just think it's very, very difficult to see how this will be policed effectively, other than at the macro level of saying, well, although there may be leakage of information, we can at least say that a jewel in the crown company will not be acquired by somebody else such that um, they might actually asset strip it and leave it, leave us without a national capability. So that I can definitely see happening. Yeah, no, absolutely. But otherwise, as you say, it's difficult to see how uh how they can get the genie back in the bottle once it's uh, been released. So just to, to wrap up on this episode then, Alix, any key takeaways for our listeners in the tech sector? Well, I mean, I mentioned the long list of where sort of technology might get caught. So if, you know, you are a target business or have assets that relate to any one of those 17 sensitive sectors, you know, alongside your normal merger control, multi-jurisdictional assessment, you are clearly now going to have to do a foreign investment filings review as well. And I'm, you know, actually not just the UK, but an awful lot of other jurisdictions as well. And I guess, you know, the, the fact to be aware of is it, it really does not apply just to the acquisitions of a controlling shareholding in a UK entity that can trigger the need for a filing. It can capture foreign to foreign or, you know, businesses that just have sales into the UK or IP assets that sit in the UK. So when a company is looking for a new investment, it's really going to just have to bear this kind of area of the law in mind. Absolutely. And do its homework. Kit, any final thoughts from you? Well, I just think, just to echo Alex's thought, I mean, it is something which is going to have to now be borne in mind. I think the extraterritorial impact, I think, is significant. And it's going to do, add some further consideration to every acquisition which technology companies make because obviously they're going to have to think not just is my target based in the UK but does it have a bearing upon the UK in such a way that it's going to have to take consideration of this regime so it's just another level of complexity into what is already quite a, a complex area. Absolutely. 
Well, thank you both. Thanks, Alex and Kit. And thank you to you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of DLA Piper's series, Understanding the UK National Security and Investment Regime. Please look out for episode five next week, where we will be discussing the implications of the regime on the transport sector. Thank you.